Welcome to the Big Review Ski with Owen and Rory. Rory, I am so, so excited about this. We have Steve Coogan, a.k.a. Alan Partridge, on the show today. Yeah, we do. Um, that This is my third time chatting to Steve. All right, show In off. person. Uh, the, the time before this was for Stan and Ollie. And it was uh-huh. actually on the stage of yes. the Olympia because that's where Stan and Ollie, I think, did their last ever uh, tour. And that was with John C. Riley. And then the time previous to that was for Philomena, um, which got him a nomination both for Best Picture because he was a producer on it and he was nominated for Best Screenplay because he wrote it or co-wrote it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, like Steve Coogan's one of those people who you automatically, you're like, that's Alan Partridge and that's maybe all he is. And then you you kind of do a little dive and you're like, oh, wait, he's done all this other incredible, amazing stuff. There's so many films of his. There's a film of his called, I don't know if you ever heard of it, have you ever seen it? It's called A Cock and Bull Story. Yeah, that was amazing. Is that like early noughties or something? That was, yeah, I think early early mid noughties. And there's, it's one of those films that, except for you, I guess, no one seems to have ever heard it. <laughs> but it is hilarious. I was Googling different things and that thing popped up. Mm. Well, we won't get into, did you, did you mean to write Keep bull? going. Keep going. Do, do, but did you read to my right bull? Keep talking about uh, oh, Steve, Steve Coogan. Coogan. Okay, we can come back to it. Um yeah, so he uh, yeah had a nice long in-person chat with him because he has his new live. It's not it's not even like a stand-up comedy sh- act. It's it's more like um, it's it seems like it might be quite scripted. It's called Stratagem. It is Alan Partridge and guests on stage, uh, and one of those guests will be a <sighs> huge. Um, I think the Irish audience in particular will be hugely. Excited. Please say it, please say it, please say it, please say it. Well, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let Steve say it. And oh, okay. then you can hear him say it. And then when he's done talking, we can talk about it. Okay. Well, I think every single Irish person uh, hopes that one particular character mm. uh, will be will be coming back uh, as well. So we'll, we'll wait and find out from that. So um, this was another, like you actually got to, I don't know if you poked him physically, uh, but you got to, to meet him in real life as well because... Again, he's in Dublin because he has these brand new shows uh, coming up as well. I don't know if he's going to stay in Dublin for like the next few weeks. So if you, you might spot him on the street. But um, yeah, because it's an interesting, like kind of trying to separate Steve Coogan from Alan Partridge uh, is practically impossible. I don't know what it's like for him, but like even in terms of he's the character that most of us uh, associate with him when we saw him first as well, unless you were looking at a cock and bull story as well. But um, yeah, so I don't know, like it, it, does he manage to not come across as a complete idiot when you're talking to him? Yeah, like he, it's very clear that he's a very smart man with lots of different uh, interests because even in terms of Alan Partridge, like it was, it was a, a radio show, it was a podcast, it was a TV show, it was different iterations of that TV show, it was the movie uh, Alpha Papa, and now it's this stand-up, not really stand-up comedy show thing. So like, it's so interesting that he can tackle all that in all these different ways while also writing uh, Oscar-nominated screenplays about like powerful true stories set in Ireland and. Uh, you know, he's famous for the trip and he's famous for, you know, kind of showing up in huge Hollywood blockbusters like the other guys or Night at the Museum 
and like he, all his work that he does with Michael Winterbottom, like all the different people he becomes, like twenty four hour party people with him as well. That like he again, it's it's it is kind of that like you forget how multifaceted Steve Coogan can be. So this interview, I like to think, covers a lot of the different aspects of of his talents, uh, and we bring up a lot of a lot of what I think are interesting topics. So yeah, it's a good one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Steve Coogan on the Big Review Ski. Steve, how are you doing today? Very well indeed, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, we are, of course, here to talk about your new Alan Partridge show, Stratagem. Can I ask what the process was behind that? Like, at what point you were like, this is what I want to do next? Well, with regard to Alan Partridge, uh, I've been writing that with a number of people. Um, most recently, the last 10 years with Robin Neil Gibbons, uh, for so long that we just, whenever we come back to the character, we always think, what's the, what, what should we do? Um, after we've gone off and done various other things, we reconvene the Alan Partridge table and decided, and we thought, um, well, we, we hadn't toured with, well, I hadn't toured with uh, Live for a while, and we thought, why don't we do a show that's just entirely Alan Partridge, uh, a live show. Um, having done lots of television and radio and podcasts, one thing we hadn't done for a while was a live uh, show. And we thought the idea of having an entire show dedicated to Alan would be um, quite an interesting exercise. Well, just even from like the the teaser trailer that went out for you, um, there's, a, there's a weird kind of almost, when you just come on and it sounds like you're subliminally trying to get people to enjoy the word stratagem oh, yeah. in the middle of the full <laughs> teaser. It was almost yeah. like this weird V for Vendetta, totalitarianism, like subliminal message thing. Is that mm. like kind of part of the show? This like this new <clears> idea <throat> of what? I think, well, we, we wanted to do a show that was part sort of TED lecture mm -hmm. and part um, inspirational speaker, part lifestyle in, uh, guru, uh, motivational speaker, um, spiritual guru, all mixed into one. So, um, and and uh, someone who, uh, as Alan says, using his charisma to inspire people, to help them overcome their personal issues, uh, to help explain modern politics to them if they're middle-aged, <laughs> and uh, to show how uh, relevant he is if you're a millennial or a, a Gen Xer um, by uh, by trying to be um, up to up to speed with with the new ways of thinking. Um, so. Yeah, but for the for this, like as we said, we're actually kicking off the show in Ireland. Mm. Would you find yourself maybe tailoring the humour slightly for different audiences, knowing how Irish Irish people might react oh, to some jokes? Yeah, 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 def definitely. I mean, we always also it's sort of it's fun, you know, when you go to a different place, you know, to have what would Alan say about this place, what would Alan say about that place, and of course, because Alan's, you know, you don't go along and see uh, to see Alan Parsons, not expect him to put his foot in his mouth because that's part of the joy of it. So it's sort of a way of of uh, <laughs> Irish people would be able to laugh at. Uh, a British person getting it wrong about Ireland, basically, which is what we always do when we don't know. Right back until, I mean, years and years ago, Graham uh, Linehan and Arthur Matthews, who wrote Father Ted, uh, 25 years ago now, they played two RTE producers uh, in an episode of Alan Partridge, and, uh, and that was the first time Alan dipped his toe into, into talking about the Irish. Um, so, so yeah, we'll definitely write some some stuff about the. I mean, there's there's a character I did in the last series called Martin Brennan, who was um, a 
a West of Ireland uh, farmer who looked like Alan Partridge and came onto the show and basically just sort of took Alan for a ride. And Alan didn't really, wasn't really aware of it. So he'll be doing the same thing in the live show. Uh, so he, he'll be there too. So, so there is actually something that's, although he'll be in all, all the shows, wherever we, although he's an Irish character, we're not going to do him uh, just in Ireland. We'll do him everywhere. But we'll certainly talk about, Alan will certainly talk about the Irish in a way that he thinks is quite um, uh, sensitive. But of course it won't be. It'll be insensitive and ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was actually going to bring uh, Martin up because it's, it's been, I think, almost three years to the day since he kind of debuted and he left such a huge lasting impression on on people over here. Like when I told my editor I was speaking to you today, he told me to this day, people still WhatsApp him memes and gifts from that <laughs> from that like little bit of the show. Yeah, yeah. So like, are, are you aware of the impact? I guess. Well, that he's I had? Also, I did hear on 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 social media that it, it did have a bit of an impact, and I'm, I was pleased because I didn't want to do even. You know, there's a, there's a funny thing when you do a uh, when you when you if you do a character who's Irish and uh, you it appears that you're laughing at him, but in actual fact, what you're doing is I was very careful actually when I wrote it that the character is laughing at Alan, uh, Martin Brennan is laughing at Alan. You realise that as the interview goes on, um, but um, I was I, I thought I'd be able to get away with it, and also I felt like I'm being really specific here about a specific. Um, uh, character from a specific part of Ireland and because I'm not being generic I think the Irish will respect it mm -hmm. and that's what happened and, uh, and so social media reflected that because because if you do something that's just um, lazy and uh, potentially racist then you'll get found out pretty quickly and, and I think it passed the smell test for a lot of people and this sort of and, they, and also they liked it because if you get something right people people should always say oh you know I know someone like him or he's like my uncle or he's like my grandfather or or, or whatever, and that that that's that happened. So that's really gratifying because um, because it's, it's not risk free when you do something like that. You know? Now, I, like I was going to say, like when he first arrived on the screen, I was like, oh, this could go one of two ways, and thankfully it landed as fantastically as it did. But like I know a lot of young Irish comedians who would be very aware of I don't want to say like cancel culture, but like treading that line of not being offensive but still being funny. Do you have any advice maybe for younger well, comedians to, to not go across that line? I think it's very hard to legislate about what is and isn't right. And I think it's dangerous to do it. Um, all I can say is that uh, when I write comedy, I do, or with, with, with my um, co-writers, we do occasionally edit and censor ourselves if we feel we are... Sometimes we'll do a joke, I think it's funny, and then we'll think, actually, no, that's slightly irresponsible because it encourages a sort of a lazy stereotype. So we'll just, we'll just get rid of the joke and do something else. And we do that ourselves, not because, actually not because we, because in actual fact, some of those jokes we think we probably could get away with, but we don't do because we don't want to, because we don't want to be part of the problem. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not the same as saying, uh, you need to say this, make rules. If you make rules, that's dangerous because the rules are, you can always see examples of, and it's that censorious. Self-censorship is, I think, okay. Censorship from other people is dangerous. Um, but I think you have to trust people, or encourage people to make responsible decisions by themselves. I, uh, the, the, sometimes it is delicate, you know. I don't think you say, you can't laugh at these people, you can't laugh at these. It depends 
what the intention is behind it. When I did Philomena, the, the character Philomena, who's a real person, you know, in the, the, that film, we, we, at some points, we sort of look like we're mocking her, we're having fun with her. We're, we're at some points, we're sort of laughing at her. But ultimately, she's the one who has the, the, the last laugh. She's the one who you know, is raised up and, and, and uh, is elevated. But you sort of have to invite the audience to, to join you in laughing at her early on. And you mm -hmm. can't say you're not allowed to do this. So I would say that, that it's just what the intention is behind it. As a rule, I always try to punch up and not down. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what's the ultimate goal? And what's the intention behind it? Is, it motiv is, is your joke motivated by contempt for someone who can't speak for themselves? Then it's probably wrong. Is your comedy motivated because through love and through something because you want to celebrate something and or you want to mock ignorance, then yeah, uh, that, that, that's fine. So that's sort of going all around the houses there with advice, but <laughs> that's my long-winded advice. It's a complicated thing, but, but, you, but I'm, I'm very wary about saying this is wrong. There's some jokes that I hear comedians do and I think, I don't like that. I think that's bullying and hectoring and I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't uh, stop. Um, I wouldn't censor a comedian or say he couldn't say something. Um, but having said that, because I'm sort of anti-censorship, that also means that I can criticize someone else if I think they've got it wrong. Well, it, it is, it's, a, it's a game of risk-taking, I guess, in, in every aspect. And one of the things I really appreciative of is that you, you take that risk-taking as well in the dramatic stuff, in that Philomena was very funny but absolutely made me cry as well. So like it is, it's something, it's a balancing act and it's something that I think you, you managed to do fantastically well. But looking forward at the reckoning that, that show that's coming out, I think later this year, I, like I'm, I'm already anticipating a reaction to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, all the work I, I, I try to do is, I like to do things that do, I mean, the most interesting work, if you're lucky enough to have to be able to make choices, not many people are creatively. They, there's a fairly, uh, there's a very narrow field of choice. And I, I at this stage in my uh, life and career, I'm able to make choices, have the luxury of making choices. So uh, that carries with the responsibility. And in actual fact, to do things that are worthwhile or have value, you have to take uh, a risk and risk failure, risk something going on to make stuff that is interesting, worthwhile, and has substance. And so the uh, the Reckoning, which is about Jimmy Savile, is one of those that fits into, into that category. Uh, I, you know, lots of people are anxious about it, um, but I think uh, it will vindicate itself when, when, it, when it comes around. It was, uh, you know, I think as a rule, when you're talking about dark periods of our, I use that in the, uh, the Catholic sense. When I say Catholic, I mean, all-encompassing, as sure. well as religiously, <laughs> uh, that, that when, when, when we talk about our cultural past, uh, the things, it's best to talk about things than to not talk about them. Uh, I mean, you know, to sort of draw a parallel between Jimmy Savile and Philomena, although I didn't write uh, the Savile projects, Jeff Pope, who wrote Philomena, produced the Jimmy Savile, uh, uh, The Reckoning. Uh, they, 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 both those projects are talking about periods of, of the cultural past uh, which need to be talked about to, to help you learn from it and move on. You sweep things under the carpet, then you're liable to have those things happen again because you haven't learned from them. 
Well, off the back of Philomena, which was nominated, I think, for Best Picture and for Best uh, Screenplay as well. Uh, uh, that's right, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I imagine like Hollywood must have come knocking quite a bit, whereas like <laughs> this is, this is like uh, attention grabbing, like because it was a fantastic film that kind of, mm. I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but comparatively to some of the bigger Hollywood projects, people were probably taken aback at how great it was. Um, what was that the situation? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, you, you have a moment where everyone sort of knocks on your door and says, do you want to do this or do you want to do this? And they invite you to do stuff or, or offer you lots of money to, to write things you don't really want to write. And um, uh, and then it sort of calms down again and they're on to the next thing. Um, but certainly for me, it definitely it was a game changer in terms of, you know, <clears throat> uh, that it opened the door to all these other projects I've done since which are more dramatic, and which is what I wanted to do. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very grateful for that. But uh, you know, but certainly, but I, I didn't um, I didn't sort of chase the money after that. I mean, I'm, you know, the, the, sometimes you get asked if you want to write a big, <clears throat> uh, high big budget Hollywood type blockbuster. If you want to get involved in that kind of thing, and uh, I just I can't. I don't really have the motivation to. I'm I'm very comfortably off. I don't have to worry about money. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think I don't know. I sometimes wonder why people. I mean, I'm sure it's, the people who do do those things and do chase those kind of big uh, Hollywood blockbusters and earn lots of money, lots of money and earn fortunes. I uh, it just doesn't really interest me. I'm not interested. Was there anything at all like be it a a role or 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 even like a project? Where you're in hindsight, you were like, "Actually, I probably should have said yes to that one." Uh, well, apart from uh, Batman, Superman, <laughs> Spider-Man, uh, and any of the Avengers, um, not not really. No. Well, I would absolutely watch uh, Steve Coogan as Batman. Like Robert Pattinson can, can step aside. <laughs> I'd have to do the old-fashioned one with the underpants on the outside of the uh, lycra. Yeah. Well, you know, like retro's back. It's it, all it this, is. It's nostalgia. Is. Is, oh, yeah, always. Yeah. When it comes to uh, the show that you're, you're doing, the strategy show, it's, it requires a very different type of energy, I imagine, mm. because, you know, in front of cameras and stuff, you can take your time, you can mm-hmm. take breaks. How do you prepare for what, to me, sounds like an absolutely exhausting Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question, uh, but you, you, it's with uh, this, with a live show, you have to think about the medium and, and, and try and, uh, we don't know, the fact is no one has all the answers, so... Some of it is a shot in the dark. You sort of, you, you learn, you, you use what you've learned, and then some of it's guesswork, and you sort of have a, a group view of things, and uh, you sort of take it from there. But uh, what, what you have to acknowledge is when you're doing a live show, it's very different from when you're doing a podcast or a recorded show. You know, you, you, you're there in front of a big crowd of people, and you have to, at some point, please the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trying to... Um, we're trying to sort of make it a bit more uh, showy and have some big sort of. I mean, we're still going to have lots of clever jokes, but we also want some stupid, silly jokes because I'm I'm a fan of those too, and uh, we want a bit of yin to go with the yang, you know. And on stage for that, uh, is it is it better for you to like keep your head down and barrel through, or do you, do you actively feed off the reaction from the audience? Uh, if you're panicking and it's the, probably the first night, you're tempting to, to keep your head down and barrel through. But we're doing some road. T- we'll, we'll take it. On, we'll, we'll do some sort of previews and uh, and try and uh, you know make sure that the, the wheels are properly screwed on the car so they don't fall off. Uh, especially as our first show is Dublin, uh, so we want to make sure it's uh, 
Um, it's actually, I'm really pleased it's there because I think that I'm expecting a, a generally warm welcome. <laughs> Are you sure, yeah? <laughs> from Dublin because, uh, well, I just think, I, 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 so I, I'm really pleased we're starting the show there. But yeah, you, you have to embrace the fact we're in a big space. Yeah. And I, like after, geez, I think it, was, it must be two or three years since a proper big comedy act on stage, people haven't been able to get out. Like you must feel like a, almost a, a hunger from the audience already. Like we are ready to laugh and well, mass right now. I, I, I think that the last two years plus have been difficult for everybody for in different, uh, to different degrees, to different degrees. Um, and I think there is also the idea that, uh, that people want to laugh together. You, you know, you can you can laugh on your own when you watch something. We all watch little clips of things on our phones and we laugh on our own, don't we? But in actual fact, um, it's so much more enjoyable to laugh with a group of people. And it's infectious, you know. Everyone's laughing at something and you, and you, you find it funny too. It's, um, it's life-affirming. And I feel like right now, I mean, I was, you know, uh, I, I was because you have to book all these venues and you don't know whether everyone's going to still be wearing masks or whether it's going to, things will be relaxed. I think, uh, touch wood, uh, you know, we've got, to, we've got the timing right and I think people will be ready for it because it's, um, it is about letting our hair down and relaxing again and la learning to laugh together because funny enough, one of the, the sort of consequences of COVID is this sort of polarisation, people being isolated and that mean, could be often mean isolated with their opinions mm -hmm. and... and and uh, we all deal with social media, so you can't see the whites of people's eyes. And it's important that when you, you what, the other thing about laughter and laughing in a group is, it's a way of connecting with people in a positive way. That a group of people in a room, especially in a big group, may have very different views on cultural things, on, um, on, on political issues, on all kinds of issues. But if they all laugh at the same time, then in that moment, they're, they're they're connected, they're joined together. So it's quite, a, it's a very sort of, I've, I've learned to appreciate the healing power of comedy. <laughs> and one last question, if that's okay. Uh, what would it take for you to bring the trip to Ireland? It's funny, you're not the first person who said that. And I, when, when we did, the last trip we did was the trip to Greece. And I was lobbying the director, Michael, to come to Ireland. I said, you know, it's not just boiled potatoes, boiled cabbage, and boiled bacon anymore. The, you know, and, and a big knob of butter, which is very it nice. Is which is that. very nice, it by is the way. Yeah. Which is very nice, by the way. <laughs> um, I, you know, I said, it, it, I, I, and also I felt like it was some. You know, it's uh, uh, we all love it. We're talking about Ireland forever, but it's like it's gone through this massive, massive cultural change over the last forty years. Some things have changed. Some things, some things have stayed the same. But it, it's. The, the Ireland of 40, 50 years ago, you know, younger, young people, I think, have reclaimed Ireland. And, uh, and so it's, 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 it's really, it's interesting. It's very interesting what, the, what's happened to the country over the last, and the, 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 you know, the, the population and other things that, you know, I mean, that starts to go the other way and, and the whole legacy of, of, uh, of Irish history and, and, where 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 it is now, and where the Irish are culture in the world now, um, is something I would like to explore. The trip would have been a fun way to do it, and we might come. That that might yet still happen. Yeah. Fantastic, Steve. Thank you so much. Great. Roy, I know you chatted to Steve Coogan about so many different, amazing, uh, and important things there, but all. Mm. 
I want to talk about is Martin Brennan. That was who you were teasing mm. uh, before the interview. I'm so happy he's coming back because um, that was, was that like 2019 or something that it that was character first appeared? Pretty much three years to the day of the interview with Steve just there. So yeah, it was, it was right around, I think it was right around Patrick's day. Uh, 2019 was when I think the world were like, <gasps> what's he doing <laughs> what, on the BBC? What? Because um, even like in, in our own work, like within Joe, our, the editor of Joe was like, my friend WhatsApps me, gifts and memes from Martin every single day. Uh, so it like he has left this incredible lasting kind of cultural impact with that character w- within Ireland. So and obviously he has so much love for Ireland anyway because like Philomena is, is kind of set within a strong Irish uh, strong Irish history. Um, and, you know, he, he's he's had some great runs with, uh, with his impressions or uh, takes on Irish people across Alan Partridge. And as you heard there, he might be bringing the trip to Ireland. So he's done, oh. he's done England, he's done Italy, he's done Greece. And potentially the trip to Ireland could be could be up next. He's already pushed for it, so that could be great. The trip is just a fantastic. Uh, it, it's like it, it feels like just kind of treating yourself because you've got top quality food mm. and drink, and you've got top quality just comedy as well. And Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan are just perfect together. Um, but yeah, and sure, his mommy is Irish, and he used yeah. to summer here as well. So I I just love. I don't think I knew all about those Irish connections with him until Martin Brennan kind of like appeared out of nowhere. Then you read up on it. So it's like, again, yes, we're going to do that thing of claiming, reclaiming Steve Coogan uh, as one of our own anyway. But that's brilliant. So his brand new show, Stratagem, coming to Ireland uh, in April. Yes. Kicking off here. Yeah, kicking off here as well. So uh, make sure uh, you bag yourself a ticket to that as well. Roy, listen, thanks as ever. It's been a joy. For me too. Mm, okay and thank you to sound paul on sound don't forget you can check out loads more interviews uh on the big review ski uh as well uh so please do subscribe and if you've done it already thanks thanks that's really sound and we will see you at those steve coogan gigs uh will we do a big aha together you ready will we do, I'll do yeah one, okay two three three aha you did it you you're not doing it okay uh, well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time no, for We couldn't tonight. let you go without a little song. Well, no. <laughs> thank you anyway, but we've got uh, a great montage of police dogs set to music. We do, indeed. Come out, Come out you black and tan. Come and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you won medals down in plan.